Welcome to a new episode of Film Seizure at the Movies. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, co-host of the Film Seizure podcast with my cohorts, Jason Oliver and Chuck Moore, and my solo show, Monster Mondays, that show up every Monday afternoon. Both of these shows can be found at filmseizure.com. This episode of Film Seizure at the Movies has only one movie that matters to talk about, Jurassic World Dominion. But before I delve into this new film that uh, seemingly promises to end the saga of the Jurassic Park franchise, I want to take a trip back through the five previous films. Now, I've talked about the first Jurassic Park in one of the earlier Monster Mondays episodes way back in 2019, and I think it's kind of lost on a lot of people today just how big that first Jurassic Park was. First, it was the big blockbuster Spielberg film of that year, in a year that would see him later release one of the most important films of the last 40 years or so, Schindler's List, for which he finally won his first Best Director Oscar. So, yeah, having one of the highest grossing movies of all time and one of the most important films, certainly of that decade, that's a pretty big year for old Stevie Spielberg, but uh, it created a blitz in pop culture. Dinosaurs were in again, though I would argue that they were n- never not in, uh, especially since late Gen Xers and early millennials grew up with dinosaur toys and cartoons and movies and museum exhibits and the Dinobots and so forth. But the special effects for Jurassic Park was one of those kind of touchstones in film like star wars it advanced the art of effects to a brand new level michael crichton the novelist who wrote the original jurassic park book became even more of a household name and soon anything he had done before was being picked up and optioned for films and let's not forget crichton was already a big freaking deal as a writer too he did the andromeda strain after all that became a significant sci-fi film in the early 70s For me, Jurassic Park kind of has a special place in my heart, uh, but not in the way that you might think. Um, Certainly last night, I'm recording this on Friday, but last night when I went and saw Jurassic World Dominion, I couldn't believe how many people were there wearing Jurassic Park shirts. I'm not that type of Jurassic Park fan. It has a special place in my heart for a couple of reasons. Uh, It came out in the first summer that I had a a driver's license and a car of my own Uh, i worked at a department store in the toy sporting goods and electronic departments the blitz for merchandising was all over the place i saw the toys with the rubbery dinosaur skins that you could take chunks off to show battle damage and so on i saw the video games and i'm pretty sure there were jurassic park licensed camping gear and bike accessories like helmets and stuff it was everywhere that summer the movie though is what's kind of most important to me it was the very first movie that i saw in a theater before the general population did i saw it on the thursday night before its release it had something to do with a program that i had signed up for through general cinema back when general cinema was still around some weeks before i got 
to see a a trailer package of upcoming movies to be released uh, for that summer and kind of a special event sort of thing. Then I could get tickets to see Jurassic Park before everyone else. Uh, This wasn't the midnight screenings type of stuff that would become somewhat popular for tentpole movies some years later. This was a 7 p.m. Thursday night screening. Next door was some other movie that regular chumps got to watch like the normal losers would. I was special for that one night and in addition to that it was the first time i saw a movie advertised that its sound was coming from a compact disc digital technology and i was floored wow this movie wasn't going to sound poppy and scratchy it was going to be crystal clear and loud it was kind of a game changer at least for me as a movie fan now as I said, the, the special place in my heart that Jurassic Park has is not quite the same as what a lot of other people have, uh, certainly the people I saw the movie with the other night, but uh, it, it was kind of a touchstone moment where I felt like I was seeing something that other people wouldn't normally have gotten to see, and that was just kind of a cool thing. It was certainly cool for a 16-year-old at the time who was a big fan of movies and saw almost every big summer movie that came out. Now, interestingly, I'm not sure if Jurassic Park as a movie is quite as good as, say, you know, the Star Wars trilogy that completed a decade prior. It's certainly not in the 2001 A Space Odyssey realm of quality. What I can say, though, is that it's a movie that made me feel like a kid again. And that's because as a little kid, I love dinosaurs. They're a part of me today that... or there's a part of me today that still marvels at the concept of these giant creatures. Granted, these days, I don't think they look quite as cool as we thought they did some 35 years ago, but that's what you get with science. Sometimes you learn the dinosaurs look pretty goofy and not quite as menacing as you wanted to believe. Uh, But I still get a kick out of watching the original Jurassic Park movie. I get a chuckle at Dennis Nedry getting his comeuppance. I get a thrill out of the raptors stalking the kid characters. And I still, internally at least, cheer when the T-Rex comes busting in to save everyone from uh, those nasty raptors. It's great without it being quite the same great as some of the earlier Spielberg movies like Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1997, the sequel, The Lost World Jurassic Park, was released to somewhat similar fanfare. Jeff Goldblum was back from the original, along with uh, Richard Attenborough's friendly but misguided John Hammond. But Laura Dern and Sam Neill were not back. And I haven't seen that movie in probably well over 20 years, but I definitely agree that it was a bit of a disappointment. I don't remember exactly what I was disappointed about, uh, but it doesn't leave too much of an impression on me. I remember the scene with the raptor stalking prey in the tall grass. I remember the T-Rex coming to, I think it was San Diego and creating havoc, but it did feel a little lackluster It kind of felt like Spielberg faltered a little bit. The Jurassic Park excitement seemed to kind of die very quickly after The Lost World came out. Uh, It should be noted that Crichton's original novel was also heavily changed for the first Jurassic Park movie. It's not quite as family friendly. Well, as much as 
scary dinosaurs running amok can ever possibly be family friendly. A lot of the characters uh, that are heroic or good natured in the movie are not really that in the book. Uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm, which is Goldblum's character, he actually dies in the first novel and it had to be retconned in Crichton's sequel book to match the sequel movie. But anyway, in 2001, Jurassic Park 3, this time directed by Joe Johnston of The Rocketeer and later Captain America First Avenger fame, was released. It it was not good. I don't think I've seen that movie since seeing it when I worked at a movie theater back then, but it seemed something of, I don't know, I guess kind of like a cheap sequel. Not really taking anything all that seriously. Sure, Sam Neill was back. Yeah, the Raptors are back, but overall... It was pretty forgettable. And then in 2015, the whole thing was revived with Jurassic World. In terms of a reboot, yeah, it revived the franchise. However, it's a sequel, too. Um, Again, it follows some of the same beats of people believing that they have unlocked the secret of cloning and creating life. And they've created dinosaurs on an island where people can come and see them up close and personal. What they have also built, though, is a brand new species that is bigger, scarier, and a pretty formidable creature called the Indominus Rex. Now, Jurassic World follows pretty much all the same flow of the original Jurassic Park. Park is created by well-meaning, kind of goofy guy with more money than he knows what to do with. The creatures that are expected to be manageable... Uh, are most definitely not. Uh, there are a couple of kids, this time two boys, who get stuck in the wild and have to run away and hide from dinosaurs. It's pretty standard stuff. There are a couple of differences, like with the more um, more nature concepts of like apex predators and the mentality of predators, like the raptors deciding to be subservient to the new alpha, knowing they can't compete against it and so on and so forth. But also, this park is fully open and crowded when things go south. It's a functioning place. That never really happened in the older movies. So yeah, it's pretty standard, but does it just well enough for me to have a good time with the movie? In fact, the original Jurassic Park and Jurassic World are the only two of the series that I own on any form of home media. The sequel, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, oof, Uh, It's a movie that was, I don't know, sort of okay and sort of lackluster, but the end completely and totally tears the movie apart for me. Basically, the island where all the dinosaurs have always lived, Ilsa Nublar, is about to be rocked by a huge uh, volcanic eruption. The U.S. debates saving the dinosaurs or letting them die and so forth. Now, Ian Malcolm says that they should pretty much let them die to correct the wrongful cloning that upset the balance of nature. However, things get a little muddied when a girl named Maisie is revealed to be a clone, too. She was created um, using some of the resources of Benjamin Lockwood, um, and that's John Hammond's silent partner in developing the cloning for the dinos, and Lockwood's daughter... uh, has basically was basically created as a replacement for the daughter who died many years ago from a really bad disease that could be corrected when the little girl was created. Now, there are some real things to think about in this movie. Yeah, the dinos were created and what 
uh, is best described as a naturally illegal way. However, they still exist. Should they be kept from going extinct again? That's kind of a fascinating question. The morality and ethics around cloning is something else that's interesting. Should we be cloning another dominant species when we have some serious ecological issues of our own and an entire continent in the real world that suffers from resource shortage? Uh, these are the decent things to think about with this movie. However, Fallen Kingdom throws all of that into... I don't uh, throw throws all of that away in what's essentially a quick, I don't know, like two minute sequence in which Maisie realizing that she like the dinosaurs is a clone and they kind of have this somewhat kindred uh, connection between them. Sure. Okay. I can accept that idea. She just simply releases the dinosaurs into the world to live. There was no one else there to debate this. There was no consideration of what it would do to the planet. A nine-year-old girl just introduces several dinosaur species, including alpha hunters like raptors and T-Rexes, into the world to live among us. I was absolutely dumbfounded by the quickness in which this massively important plot point with incredible ramifications just happens in this movie. The movie ends again with Malcolm saying, yeah, we're screwed. This is the dawning of a neo-Jurassic era on this planet, and we've got problems ahead. Oh, and what else does it show? At the very end, it shows a raptor on the outskirts of a suburban town looking at it like, oh, hey, check it out. A new place to get food. It's horrifying. So needless to say, Fallen Kingdom missed its mark. Like Jurassic or like Lost World and Jurassic Park 3, it you know, it just did its thing. I would say that at least with Lost World and Fallen Kingdom, there were possible concepts to consider. However, <laughs> Fallen Kingdom just chucked all that to the side so that we can see a little girl who granted can certainly feel for the dinos being gassed to death in this final moment that she decides uh, to free them just simply upset the balance of the ecosystem of the earth to the point that it would likely lead to a mass extinction event likely for the human race. It's devoid of any nuance. Not that these movies are necessarily loaded with that, but still, Come on. I mean, this movie sets up nuance and throws it all away in an instant. I, I literally gasped when I saw that movie and saw that moment. Okay, so now let's talk about Dominion. Does it end on a bang or does it go out much like Jurassic Park 3 did back in 2001? Well, right out of the gate, I knew I was in trouble when shot after shot, location after location, the movie was drab and kind of ugly. It began with something I would never expect a movie made in the 21st century to do. A recap of uh, basically in the form of a now this news report. You, you can see now this reports on Facebook and online and everything. A woman who I think we're supposed to know who it is, but I can't for the life of me figure out if she's important or a real person or what basically tells you everything that I just did. Jurassic World burned and the dinosaurs were moved to someplace in the U.S. and they got out and it's upset the ecology of the world as people have to figure out how to live with big lumbering dinos getting in the way and far, far, far worse how to protect themselves when these things get hungry. 
yeah, lady, we got it. We watched that movie that came out four years ago, and there's now literally sites like YouTube and Wikipedia to keep us refreshed and reminded if we don't care enough to watch the movie on cable or Amazon or wherever else it might be available. So the movie starts off like a movie would have 30 years ago. I can kind of accept that because I never wanted to see Fallen Kingdom again. So I guess thanks for the refresher, even though it it really made me feel like we're headed for trouble. But then, like I said, it's location after location of drab, statically shot, uninteresting terrain with dinos. Claire, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, and Owen, played by Chris Pratt, are still together raising Maisie, now 14, and very unlikably rebellious. In fact, both Claire and Owen are fairly unlikable, too. Owen goes around like a father-knows-best cowboy wrangling dinosaurs uh, that he apparently has some sort of power over every time he sticks out his damn hand, um, and telling Claire and Maisie what's best. Claire is just kind of there, struggling to be a mom and stuff, I guess. But the whole thing is this. Poachers are very keen on two things. First, our dino star of this Jurassic World trilogy, the raptor named Blue, has given birth when she should not have been genetically capable. Second, Maisie. Both apparently hold the key to something that this new company that has swooped in to study the dinosaurs to see how they could potentially unlock cures to diseases in the human world. Anyway, they're, they're, they're both important to this company and oh by the way this company's name biosyn now it's spelled b-i-o-s-y-n but come on guys sin is in their name so they want to get their hands on the things that claire and owen from the new trilogy care about meanwhile ellie sattler who is laura dern from the original jurassic park film has been called in to collect a horrific biological sample a giant locust that is part of a swarm that is going around and basically eating any and all crops, not using seeds created by Biosyn. So she's looking to prove that Biosyn is up to no good because these locusts are so big and ravenous that they will pretty much wipe out crops worldwide to the point of famine on an immeasurable scale. She goes to get her old friend, Alan Grant, who is Sam Neill, to go to Biosyn and take a tour around thanks to someone they both know who happens to have inside access to the super powerful and at times clandestine bio company, Dr. Ian Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum. So the old trilogy stars are after Biosyn for creating locusts who are going to create global famine that we aren't going to rebound from. But now get this. Jeff Goldblum, who plays a guy who is very determined to get the word out about how collective human knowledge and willpower and greed will utterly destroy life as we know it, thanks to tinkering around with the laws of nature, literally works for a company who employs a collective of really smart and strong-willed people who tinker around with biology and the laws of nature for a guy who will very likely might be doing it for greedy purposes. Now, why Biosyn would potentially employ a guy who could very easily change the minds of the employees is completely beyond me. Now, I, I guess they have to do this so that the movie can movie, 
I, I don't know. But Campbell Scott plays the guy who runs Biosyn, and he's clearly up to no good. He's willing to, one, obtain the baby dino and the teenage girl because Dr. Henry Wu, the guy who's always seemingly to be at the center of creating these biological nightmares, says that they can use their their biology to stop the giant locust. But he doesn't want to get but Campbell Scott doesn't want to get rid of the locust or at least is very resistant. Instead, I guess they could do other things with these two things that they've captured. I don't know. And I'm not sure it's really worth me trying to care. Now, Campbell Scott, I, I, I love seeing him in, in a big box office movie, but he's an awful character in this. He finds out at one point that there are insiders at Biosyn helping undermine him and potentially reveal all the bad stuff he does, right? Now, you'd think, oh, no, he's probably going to kill somebody in order uh, or order a hit on them. Nope. He just fires them. And what's more, there's a new character added to this movie that helps fly specimens to Biosyn. I actually have the least to say negative about her because she seems to think things through way more than the rest of the script does. She's part of this uh, whole other plot at one point in this movie that deals with a group of bad people who sometimes smuggle stuff in a, some pretty shady ways. Now, this bad guy smuggler that she happens to know has these highly trained raptors that she uses to attack some CIA agents. Now, they know these are highly trained raptors. They know they are really boned if they let these raptors attack. So what do they do? They point guns at these raptors for upwards of 90 consecutive seconds without shooting the dinos that will indeed gut each and every one of them. It's mind-bogglingly stupid behavior from the supposed good guys with guns and that's a big part of the problem with this movie there are tons of nonsensical moments in this movie that should never made this should never have made it to a final version of any script these characters are only put in the situations from one sequence to the next so that they can be chased by the next type of dinosaur that the script needs to toss into the plot to show off special effects there are numerous occasions that any rationally thinking person would not put themselves into the danger these people get into these situations are entirely in service for action sequences and you'd think that would help the pacing of this movie oh no no it drags the plot out to a torturous two hours and 27 minutes there are whole sections of this movie that could be completely lifted out of this movie there are whole plot sequences that ultimately should have been cut you would send this script through another rewrite so someone else can ask the question do we really need like 25 minutes in malta at a dinosaur black market bazaar I'd say that these sequences were only there to have a bunch of different dinosaurs out so that they could sell toys to kids. What's the line that Goldblum says in the first movie about slapping the logos on lunchboxes and stuff? I, I probably butchered that, but yeah, that. There's a plot here someplace. There are questions to ask about how the world can keep moving with these other creatures trying to coexist with us. There are moments in which I think we might do something with that. But again, it's chucked to the side to have an action sequence. This series has a terrible habit of sidestepping any actual smart 
conversation around what would actually happen if suddenly humans and dinosaurs existed at the same time. It wants to say we can use cloning or all our smarts to create dinosaurs, but it doesn't care to answer that other thing that Goldblum said in the first movie that I'll probably butchered. You know, they were so busy asking if they can, they didn't answer if they should. Now, these last two movies in particular could have done so much to talk about what our responsibility is to our ecology and biosphere, but it just couldn't or wouldn't. It just wants to show Chris Pratt on a motorcycle with raptors running alongside or chasing him through the streets of Malta like it's Mission Impossible Dino Protocol or something. Jurassic Park Dominion is an ugly film. It's a poorly shot film. It looks synthetic in most of the scenes that should have been shot in the wilderness. Even when it is shot on location, it just looks too unreal. The characters are shockingly unlikable. When the new cast meets the old, it's so utterly groan worthy when you have Sam Neill point at Chris Pratt and say, hey, you're the guy who trains raptors. And then have Chris Pratt say something like, oh, you're the guy who wrote that book that I didn't bother to read but listen to on tape. It was shtick and it felt utterly soulless. I should care about something, but I just couldn't. There was one movie, there was one moment where the levity of the situation of people and dinos coexisting actually did make me feel something early on in the movie. There were these two brontosauruses, or maybe they were brachiosauruses, uh, who got mixed up in a logging site and had to be led to safety by people. Um, it looked pathetic and sad for these big majestic creatures, and that registered something in me, but nope, the movie had its chance to make it do something with that reality of this world, but they opted out. The, the biggest of all sins that this movie commits, it's boring. There are no less than a dozen, a dozen action set pieces in this movie. Yeah, I said that right. At least a dozen. They are so uninteresting, so loud, so chaotic that I just simply could not care. I know the stranger sitting next to me in the theater was getting pretty bored too because he kept checking his phone to see what time it was. An action adventure movie with that many action set pieces shouldn't make you want to check your phone to see how much longer this thing is <laughs> and, and how much more is going to happen to your face. I hope this movie would redeem fallen kingdom i hope that it would be a fun romp with the mix of the two casts i thought if nothing else if it was a bad movie it would potentially be a fun bad movie it was none of those things it's far worse than fallen kingdom it was an assault on every sense of my body it was just a bad bad movie I never thought that I would think that a Jurassic Park or Jurassic World movie would be worse than something like Moonfall, which at least was a fun, bad movie uh, and could be a fun, bad movie night movie. I just simply cannot recommend Jurassic Park Dominion more than I do. Don't forget to follow Film Seizure at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so that you can be made aware of new episodes of our various shows as they drop. And you can also follow us at podcast providers like SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. You can even listen to our shows on YouTube by subscribing there. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with reviews of Lightyear and Elvis. So until then, don't forget to save me the aisle seat. <laughs>